The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And let's see what rock and roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan's got for us with his joke of the week. This Jericho, it's Duff McKagan calling. I hope everything's well and wonderful in your world. Man, I got to tell you, my, my wife said she's going to leave me because I, well, I switched my clothes every half an hour. And she's just sick of it. She can't take it anymore. I said I can change. Thank you very much. Uh, they might not always be funny, but they come from the heart, and they're always here. Another Duff original. I wonder how long it took for him to come up with that one. We love you, Duff. You're only the bass player in one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. So even if your jokes are sometimes kind of stinkeroonies, thank you for being here, and thank you for being here, guys. Uh, interesting subject today. A first-hand account of the Fire Festival. Uh, it's the big-time luxury music festival in the Bahamas that didn't actually happen. Well kind of happened didn't turn out the way that it was planned the way it was promised two great documentaries on it right now one on hulu one on netflix go check it out it's the fire festival f-y-r-e uh it turns out a friend of mine was actually there austin mills from younghollywood.com pretty much the star of the hulu documentary like i mentioned uh about the fire festival called fire fraud that's fire with a y austin and a bunch of his friends went to the fire festival he actually filmed his entire experience there, which is, as you're about to hear, amounted to a few hours on the festival grounds and a bunch more in the airport, stuck, locked in the airport in the Bahamas. He's going to take us minute by minute through his trip from the time they bought tickets to the uh, luxury festival, how they got ripped off, uh, the, the the chaos and uh, possible danger that almost ensued. Um, and then from when they landed in the Bahamas to the return into the Miami area. You'll also hear what he thinks about the festival creator and promoter, Billy McFarland, who just started serving a six-year prison sentence for fraud as a result of this festival gone wrong. A court-appointed forensic accountants are still trying to figure out how Billy spent more than $26 million raised to put on the festival, $26 million that he got from other people. Billy's not talking. Apparently, he didn't keep any financial records. That's no surprise. So the accountants have only been able to account for about $11 million so far, including $2 million spent on alcohol, $1.6 million paying supermodels and social media influencers to promote the event, 
275 grand on a cruise ship they didn't use and another 1.6 million on a private jet. Lots of money wasted, uh, basically taken from a lot of people and Billy is in jail for that. Uh, Check out the Hulu documentary Fire Fraud or the one that Netflix did as well. Both are great and give an incredible behind the scenes look at how things went so wrong at this festival in 2016. Uh, Very, very crazy time. Uh, Once again, uh, Fire Festival. If you want to know what it was like for the regular people who bought tickets hoping to see some killer live bands in the beautiful Bahamas surrounded by supermodels and fun in the sun, then listen up because Austin Mills is telling the story right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. Okay, so the big talk right now uh, is the documentaries. There's two of them, one on Netflix, one on Hulu of the Fire Festival, which is one of the biggest scams, it seems, probably in the history of of everything. And as I was watching these documentaries, I was uh, surprised pleasantly to see uh, Austin Mills all over these docs, especially the Hulu one. I mean, it seems like you're one of the stars of the show in the Hulu documentary for sure. Yeah, I mean, listen, I was one of the only one of the only people that went that actually blogged the entire thing and got like on the ground footage from a attendee's perspective. Yeah, it's interesting just to see how it all unfolded and and now it's like I said kind of becoming the talk of the town. But, you know, we've we've met when you were hosting Young Hollywood and I know you do a lot of stuff out in LA at ESPN all that sort of stuff. How did you first hear about Fire Festival uh, and how did you end up going there? So it's actually kind of crazy because there's a misconception that I, you know, was an quote-unquote influencer that was helping promote the festival. I actually had nothing to do with the festival. Um, my A big group of my friends, actually, we have like a huge group of us that grew up together. It was like 14 of us. And we saw the festival and we saw the price and the, like the early bird special with 500 bucks for a ticket to the festival, a flight from Miami to the Bahamas, and a place to sleep and food. Um, so we kind of figured like that was like a no-brainer for, for us. I mean, mm-hmm. seemed like a, like a great deal. Um, so we jumped on that right away. We all committed. Uh, well, 12 of us did. Um, and we figured, you know, how bad could it be 12 of us in the Bahamas together? Sure, because the way that it was promoted, for those of, of you that haven't seen the documentary, was that it was going to be like the biggest festival, a destination festival, kind of like, I don't know, Coachella or, or, or Electric Daisy or something along those lines in the Bahamas, and all kind of like supermodels and social media influencers, et cetera, et cetera, were, were, were promoting it and, and talking about how great it was going to be. So how, how was that kind of how it was sold to you? Like how, where, where were you going to be sleeping? Like, was that part of the deal where they told you what you'd be sleeping in and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. So when we first saw it, um, a lot of people think that people were so intrigued by the orange squares, right. um, which was not the case for us. No, no orange square was getting me to go to a music festival. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That was the why. orange squares that all the, all the models were Instagramming. That was kind of the, the logo for the festival. Yeah, I, I don't know why so many people think that that was such a big draw. Um, but for us, it was just uh, exactly what you said, kind of like a Coachella by the beach. Um, and, you know, uh, all of our friends, we've been going to Coachella for the last, like, 
I'd say eight years, something like that. So we, that's all kind of been a tradition for us. And, and we figured, you know, we saw a couple couple nostalgic bands in there, Blink-182, and a couple newer bands and, or groups, Migos, and that type of thing. So, you know, we figured how cool would it be to listen to these bands essentially by the ocean. Mm-hmm. And like I said, what did it say that you would be sleeping in when you mentioned that you got your food covered and, and your accommodations? I, I can't remember exactly what they promised us. I can't remember if it was like, you know, they used good adjectives. It was like Lux. I honestly can't even remember. It was probably like Lux Villa or some, something <laughs> of that sort, which was not the case. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it, was, it was promoted, as, as like you mentioned, kind of like a luxury luxury villas and all this sort of yeah, thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I noticed that when you said it cost $500 uh, in the Hulu documentary, it says that Billy McFarlane, who's the, the guy kind of behind the whole thing, who's now in jail for fraud, was talking about how the the general admission kind of early bird special tickets sold out to, or, or, or he realized he wasn't going to make enough money off of those, so he said they were sold sold out and started charging a lot more for the tickets. So the five hundred bucks is actually a, a pretty good bargain for you guys. Yeah, I, I think, and, and this is what I tell people: I think that in the beginning he had good intentions. I think that he really did want to put on an actual music festival. Mm-hmm. I just think that he way underestimated um, a the timing that it would take and b the cost that the whole thing would take. Um, and that's why he was just, once, once he kind of got behind, he just trying to, he kept trying to like catch up with himself and just got himself screwed. Well, yeah, it was kind of almost became a Ponzi scheme where he was taking money from people to pay the bills uh, just to stay afloat because he was so far behind in, in everything, uh, all the expenses and that sort of thing. So how, how long before the festival was it that you guys bought your, your tickets? I just, a couple months. Um, obviously, I, I, it was a while ago. It was about a year and a half ago that we, I'd say we bought the tickets. Uh, or no, no, almost two years. But uh, it was it was a couple months before. I'd say three months, maybe, if I were to take a guess. Gotcha. So over that course of that three months before you guys actually get on the plane to go from from LA to Miami, did you have any indications that it wasn't going to be what you thought it was going to be, or did everything? appear to be cool all the way up until you, you got on the plane? You know what's funny is a lot of people have asked me that question because there was that guy in the documentary talking about I was trying to let everyone know that it was a disaster. and Right. But the problem was that this guy was tweeting from some random Twitter. It's like some guy starting a Coachella Twitter and warning people that Coachella is going to be a disaster. It's like there's no way, A, I never saw the account anywhere, and B, there's no way to prove that that is valid. So, honestly, the, the, the very first time we really realized that this was going to be a disaster is when I was sitting in the Miami airport waiting to go to the Bahamas. And um, I was hearing different sides of the story because we were hearing from kind of like social media side that it was, you know, it had stormed the night before and nothing was ready and, 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 and all these bad things. But then we had a couple of friends that had made it there already and they actually shipped my friend to a different side of the island where there was like a cafe and a beach and drinks and it was all nice and you couldn't see the tents and everything. So they were telling us, no, it's beautiful. Come, you know, how bad could it be if we're all together by the beach with music? So 
we were very conflicted and, you know, the, the next step was just, you know, we're all going to be together. How bad could it be? So that, that was the thought process going into it. It's also one of those things too. Like by the time you take, you know, I'm assuming you guys came from LA or wherever you came from, by the time you actually get to Miami, you're already almost there. It would probably be just as much of a hassle to, to pack up and go right home at that point anyways. Yeah. It, I mean, as soon as we got out of the Bahamas, we ended up going back to Miami. Um, our flights were for a couple of days. So we just spent a couple of days in Miami. We were also so freaked out from the Bahamas that we wanted to just kind of lay low for a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, the flights were all set up. Some of our friends were already there. So it, was, it, was, it almost was a feeling of like, I'm abandoning my friends here if I don't go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like you said, how bad could it be, right? That's probably what yeah. I was thinking. So, so what kind of a plane did they have to take you guys from Miami to the Bahamas? So it was, uh, they, they were chartered flights. They weren't the greatest chartered flights in the world. There was, like, no air conditioning. There was no – it was just kind of scattered. Everyone was kind of being helter-skelter because no one knew, you know, what the deal was on the grounds over there. So they were charter flights. They actually had the fire uh, decal on the on the outside of the plane, which I thought was hmm. kind of impressive, honestly, for <laughs> sure for all the disaster I was hearing about. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't terrible. It, it got us from point A to point B, so – that's the job done. It's interesting, though, like you said, when you see the, the decal, you know, the, the the design on the side of the plane, that does make it seem pretty official, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, no definitely. That was that made it a, a little bit more promising. So, what kind of, what kind of people were were on the plane with you? Like, what, what was the demographic that were going to this festival? From what you saw? Oh, it was all young, for sure, all young. A lot of people have been saying, you know, like the the young, this whole festival was young millennial but i mean the reality is true it's, it is a lot of millennials but there's like a negative light that's shined on on the idea of millennials you know kind of being adventurous and going to these types of festivals but this is one in a million there have been so many festivals that have worked that quote-unquote millennials have gone to and had an amazing time um and this just happened to be one that didn't end up working out so is there other destination festivals like this then yeah, there's tons actually. Um, I don't. I'm not the biggest like festival goer in the world. Um, I go to Coachella, and that's kind of about it. I got lured in, into this because all my friends wanted to go. But um, there's there's definitely ones that happen in other parts of the country. I think there's one. There's an Odessa kind of festival happening soon actually that I've been hearing that people are buying tickets to, which I would never do. I would never go to the first year of anything ever again. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, I, I think that there's a, an Odessa one coming up somewhere. Gotcha. So, like you said, the, the, something that's happened before is happening again. So you guys take this plane and you land in the Bahamas and kind of take us through what happens when you, when you land. Yeah, I mean, uh, we landed. We took a bus that was pretty overcrowded. We pulled up. It was about a 20-minute drive to, to the actual ground itself. Um, and we pulled up. They took us. They didn't take us to the beach side. They took us to the actual uh, like campground. And the girl next to me, as soon as we drive in, just starts bawling, crying. Oh, really? And I'm just thinking in my head, we are so screwed. <laughs> I mean, we're lo- we're looking at these tents that most of them don't have beds in them. Most of them are soaking wet. It, it was just a bad sight from the beginning. Um, and we drove in and saw some of our friends. And it was kind of a relief to see everyone else, but 
there's havoc going on at the same time. There's hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that are scattered around that have no idea where to go, where their bags are, where to check in, where their tents are, any of that kind of stuff. So we're kind of standing around trying to figure out what to do. They're trying to literally pour tequila down your mouth so you don't realize what's going on. And at the same time, we're trying to make the best of the situation. Like, yes, this is not ideal, but we're still trying to, you know, be positive and enjoy each other's company while all this mess is going on. So we kind of took matters into our own hands, found someone, got settled into a tent. And from that point, we were like, let's go find our bags. Maybe things will get better. Went to look for our bags, couldn't find our bags, went back to our tent. Someone had taken our tent and they told us that they were told that it was a free for all and to just grab whatever you could. And this is kind of when we realized, like, we need to get out of here. (laughs) So, so, um, so just to back up a bit. So, when you guys got there and you look at these tents, and they're basically like, I think they said in one of the documentaries, they're like FEMA ramshackle shelters with just yeah, basically. They were really, they were really small tents. The carpets were soaking wet. The beds were soaking wet. There were just two. It was two small beds in a tent. Definitely not the luck that they promoted. And uh, yeah, it was just not not ideal for a high end festival. When you uh, were you and you mentioned you were blogging this and filming the whole thing, was that kind of your your mission to do this from the start? Kind of like I'm going to make a whole, uh, you know, kind of a diary of this. Well, you know what's crazy is this is one of I wasn't I hadn't really been too big on YouTube prior to the festival, and I just figured you know what I'm just going to vlog this. I had no idea that it was going to be a disaster when I actually decided to vlog it. I just wanted to document the actual festival itself. And mm-hmm. then when it became such a disaster, I just kind of got it out quickly so people could, you know, because there was so much different speculation on online. So I wanted to get it out and show people what we went through. So you, you were able to kind of post this stuff while you were there. Yeah. So when we landed in Miami, I just forwarded the footage to a friend of mine who was really talented. He ended up getting the video out in like a day or two. And I mean, media companies just started picking it up right and left so it was it was pretty crazy honestly i i mean we were on world star we had the new we had literally every news station as soon as we landed in the airport we had news stations interviewing us when we landed so so, so when, was, when you were talking about too when you got there they had people walking around just pouring tequila in people's mouths so that you wouldn't realize how crappy it was yeah they definitely had some people on the ground that were uh i mean i I saw in one of the documentaries said something like they just had tons of alcohol. Yeah, $2 million worth. Yeah, something crazy. And it almost seemed like they were just trying to distract people from the fact that nothing was ready. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So when you went there, and who kind of officially gave you your tent? Was there like a a kind of a check-in office or something like that? Yeah, so they had one desk with like two people, which I felt I felt really bad at these people because 
you could tell that they had no idea what was going on, what to do. And people were just destroying them. We were, we were pretty patient. We were pretty calm. Um, they, you know, found our name and we got set up pretty quickly, but I mean, in situations like that, people want answers. People want to figure things out as soon as possible and they get aggressive. So I just felt bad for those people that, I mean, it was literally two people to a couple hundred at the time. I know you see those lineups and yeah, it's like not those people's faults that, that, that it wasn't organized as, as, as well as it should have been for sure. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> I think most of the people, most of the people that were, that were working under him had no idea what was coming to them. Did you, um, when you went back to the tent, you said there's other people in there. It, it seems like that's, I mean, it seems like there's, there's a real chance that things could have gotten violent not just in your case, but for the whole the whole atmosphere there. Yeah, well, that was one of our bigger concerns, and we're our group of friends is is honestly a, I'll say it again because it's it's the best way to describe it. We're just a very kind of positive, forward thinking group. So as soon as that happened, you know, being violent and getting angry is never the right move. Mm. So we just figured as soon as we heard it, it kind of clicked in our minds like we need to get out because this could with other people turn violent and aggressive and angry. And we don't want to be around if there's, you know, violence. And, you know, when we got to the airport and actually found our bags and got out of there, we were seeing tweets that were saying that there things were being set on fire and gunshots were being fired and all this stuff. So our mission was definitely to get back into the U S as soon as possible. Wow. So, So did you even stay a night there or did you leave as soon as you got there? No, we actually found the bus driver that took us there, and we split up, found our bags as soon as possible, and got to the airport as quickly as we could. We kind of figured, you know, if you're in a government location, it's probably the safest. We, none of us had ever been to the Bahamas before, and it's, a, it's another country. So being in another country, we just figured the best thing would be to get to a government location and get back to the U.S. as soon as possible. So and it took a while to get your bags, too, it showed in the... In the... Actually, you even mentioned that in the in the documentary. Yeah, it was it was pitch black out. There were no lights, so we were using our phone flashlights. And there were a couple big trucks scattered all over the place with bags in them. And I'm telling you, it's pitch dark. And these people from the Bahamas were trying to help everyone find their bags, but it was just such a disaster. It was it was pretty difficult to actually find them. So, what is that? Like hours after you first got there? Yeah, I'd say we got there um, around. Four, I would say, and we headed back to the airport around. We got to the airport around eight thirty. So, wow! So, like, in in you know, before you left, I mean, one thing that did any of the bands actually show up and play? No. So when we were on the when we were on the ground when we had gotten to the to the festival, we realized that most of the bands had either tweeted or somehow mentioned that they weren't coming anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it was, it was a variety of different signs that kind of made us realize while we were there, we need to, we need to get out of here. You might not have even been there long enough to eat anything, but what was there like a, like a food tent set up like a cafeteria? Cause you see like the cheese sandwiches and that sort of a thing. How was that even set up? So we all kind of had different missions. I would say at the time, since there was 12 of us, everyone kind of had their own, their own job. Mm-hmm. Some were to find bags, some were to get food. Some were, I had a friend of mine that actually had charged all of our tickets to his 
credit card. So he was working on getting our money back from the credit card company. <laughs> um, everyone just sort of had different jobs. And someone went and got the food and brought the food back to us while we were waiting for others to find bags. And it was, I mean, as you saw, it was just a disaster. I didn't see what the cafeteria area was like, but the food, I mean, I didn't even eat it. It was, it was a piece of bread and a piece of, what's that cheese? Like, that orange cheese. Like cheddar cheese or, or Swiss cheese? Yeah, or? yeah, like the ones that come in, in the little single packets. Yeah, the American cheese or the, the processed cheese. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's that's hilarious. Like, I mean, that to me just shows how ridiculous everything is. Like, you didn't even get like a like a bologna or, or a ham sandwich or anything like that. Yeah, I, I would have preferred a Lunchable anything. <laughs> <laughs> so so you mentioned the, the jobs that, that your friends split up to do. So one was to get food, one was to get bags. What was your job? We were honestly tracking down bags for the most part. Tracking down bags and figuring out, one, a way back to the airport, and two, an actual flight back to Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we had some, we were figuring out contact with some sort of organizer that was on the ground we had a couple people we were in contact with that were trying to help us. I think there was, there was one or two people that were under Billy that you could tell had no idea that this was going to be such a disaster and were trying to help us get flights and get transportation and all that. Did you see <laughs> Billy McFarlane there at all? Yeah, I did actually. When we checked in, he stood on top of a table and was trying to, this, and this is the reason why I tell people, I think that he had good intentions is because, I saw the look on his face when he stood on that table and was trying to tell people where to go and what to do because he looked extremely panicked. And I think someone that's trying to scam people doesn't try to fix things when it's on the ground. He just, the look of panic on his face was something I'll never forget. I can see that too. Like, I don't think he went into this with the intention of just robbing people. But, you know, I think there was a little bit of, of denial going on. And the fact that he was even there at all tells me that he was at least trying to make it good at some point or else he just wouldn't have even bothered to show up. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those things where in theory it sounded great, but then you see, like you mentioned, three months before you bought tickets for this festival that probably would have needed 10 months to set up or a year to set up. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Did you talk to other people that were there at the festival and then kind of get the... any anybody else's opinions or just basically just stick to yourself? You know, what's funny is we, uh, we, when we were in the airport, we were looking at hotel tonight for places to stay in Miami when we got back. Um, and we just ended up picking a random hotel and there were, there was like a, a solid, solid group of other fire festival people that went back to the hotel as well, <laughs> mm. which was kind of funny. So we were just kind of discussing the things that were happening. Everyone was, was still, in disbelief and i mean this was this was it was a crazy experience were you guys able to leave that night yeah so this was this was the this was probably the one of the worst parts for us was because they first we had to figure out the actual charter back because obviously there were no planes going back yet because they didn't they were expecting to take people back on sunday Mm -hmm. sunday and monday i think and so we had to track the flight down. Once we tracked the flight down and actually got on the plane, it was about 11 p.m. So we were in the airport for like three hours, I would say. And we boarded the plane, and they actually couldn't match up the manifest to the amount of people that were on the plane. Hmm. So they kept trying to figure it out. They deboarded us once, and then we reboarded, 
and by the time they figured it out and matched it up, the flight attendants could no longer work because they were past their amount of hours. <laughs> wow. So we went back into the airport, and they actually locked us into the airport because we had already checked in. They had our information and all that stuff. So they literally chained the door shut. And some people were trying to, like, walk outside to get air and, and this sort of thing. So they ended up chaining the doors and closing all the windows. And mind you, at this point, we've, we still had no food or water uh, pretty much all day. What? You know, since we left since we left Miami. Right. So since, like, around 3, 4 p.m., and now it's around, by the time that we got locked back in the airport, it's like 3 or 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., no one still had food or water. And because there was, I'd say, 100, I think it was 112 people was the number, 112 people in a bedroom-sized room closed in with no air, uh, I woke up because I fell asleep, and some dude had passed out from not eating food or water and not having air. Yeah, so as soon as that happened, they, they came in and opened the doors, and there was actually like a little gift shop in that room that they opened for us as well. Um, so they actually yeah. cha- they chained you guys into the airport like that is that is that even legal? I mean, it was in the Bahamas, so right. not legal in the U.S., but maybe legal there. Right. And what was the mindset in chaining the doors? I think just because they had collected everyone's passports, and and some people were trying to like walk outside, not onto the tarmac, but just like where the tarmac leads. Mm-hmm. But just outside to get air, and they didn't want people in the airport area, so they just decided it would be better to chain everyone in. Oh my gosh! With with no food and no water. Yeah, that's a little bit scary. And so we ended up actually boarding at nine a.m. the the next morning. So we were at that airport for around twelve hours. Wow, man! And, and so, geez, this. So while you guys are locked in this airport, the the other people are. are stranded you know at the festival as well so all across the board like you said because you're in another country you 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 can't just you know rent a car and drive home yeah (laughs) Yeah, man did you uh were you at all during that time frame was it were you kind of starting to get a little bit freaked out or were you you pretty calm the whole time see here was here was the big this is the the big issue is that most of us i mean all of us were very freaked out Especially, there's just so many different things going on. You don't have food. You don't have water. You don't know if you're getting a plane out. We had no idea if a plane was coming. We had no idea what was happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're hearing about the fires and the gunshots going on on the, on the campgrounds. And you kind of just don't know if you're going to get out. So some of us were, like I said, trying to, trying, trying to stay calm, trying to keep a level head. We had a couple of our girlfriends that were with us that you could tell were on the verge of having a panic attack so if any of us were to show any sort of fright or or emotion or anything like that it would have it would have been bad for them so we were all trying to keep it under control for them right 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 and honestly for everyone else on the plane with us there's so many elements of things it's it's very very lucky that things didn't get go a lot worse yeah definitely (laughs) i mean when you're talking about all these different scenarios and the fact that everyone was able to stay calm, because just the concept of showing up and having, you know, having this festival be a big scam, and then you're kind of stuck there. I mean, I'm surprised there wasn't more fistfights and Lord of the Flies type type scenarios going on. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're right. I think uh, 
I think we found out that a lot of the stuff that was on Twitter wasn't true, like all the, you know, all the fires and the gunshots and all that. Mm-hmm. But it, it wouldn't have surprised me if people were were acting that way. I, I mean, I, I know for a fact that people were starting to act out. I, I heard that from personal encounters, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it was much worse on the ground. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Did you guys have any interaction with the the native Bahamians there, with the, the people that lived on the island? Yeah, actually. And you know what's funny? I had never been to the Bahamas before, so I had no idea what to expect. You know, you never know being out, outside of the U.S., where is safe, where where is okay for for Americans to be, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though these people from the Bahamas had worked so hard and not gotten paid a single dollar, they were all so helpful and they were all so kind. And the whole time we were there, there most of the people were saying, please don't let this event deter you from coming back mm. to the Bahamas. Like We love tourism. We love Americans. This event is not what we're about. Please come back and visit us. <laughs> wow. Okay. Actually, uh, our bus driver was telling us, I have Airbnbs here. Come back and stay in my Airbnbs. I'll give you a discount. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, did, that, did, that, did that deter you from ever going back to the Bahamas? No, I actually went back recently. Um, you know, I, I wanted to see. Uh, uh, people had told me how, how nice the Bahamas was. So I wanted to go back and see the good side of the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually went um, with my girlfriend and we did like more adventurous stuff. I know a lot of people go and just kind of hang in the Bahamas, but we did an island tour and we did, we went like swimming with the pigs and swimming with the sharks and doing all the, all the kind of adventurous stuff to, to see the other side of the island. That's cool. It reminds me of that one part in the, in the documentary, the girls want to go to swim with the pigs. We're going to go swim with the f- pigs. Job. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, so because now, okay, obviously, so this I believe that was April of 2017 was when the festival was, and now over the past couple of weeks since these documentaries came out, you know, the fire festival is on everybody's lips. But what was kind of the overall reaction after the festival was done? Did it just kind of come and go, or did you know all of this stuff was brewing? Yeah, I had been. I was a part of the Hulu documentary itself, so. Right. I had known that, that it was coming out, um, but I didn't, honestly, it's gotten way more attention than I thought it was going to get since it's already happened, but it also makes me realize that people never really got to see, you know, what happened. So, I mean, people have been freaking out. The, the, the traction that I've gotten is kind of mind-blowing. You know, people saying, like, I saw you in the Hulu documentary, and it's just been a lot, a lot more kind of overwhelming than I thought. Well, it's it's funny though because I know what you're talking. about. I've had that happen a few times with some things that I've done over the years where you can't like, for example, like it's such a weird example, but like when I did Sharknado three, like the amount yeah. of traction I got from that was more than almost anything else I'd ever done because everybody was watching. And now yeah. that fire is becoming kind of the 
the, the the buzzword and i mentioned like you know in the, in the hulu documentary you're all over it so this could probably give you more more fame and recognition than you've ever had doing anything else that you've done in hollywood yeah it's done it's definitely done well for me um uh, i think that a lot of people didn't didn't really get to see unless you kind of watch the vlog they didn't get to see like the actual attendee side mm -hmm. a, a lot of the commentary was not a lot but some of it was kind of negative just because i don't think people are, were, un, were able to understand the process that we went through. And it, it's not even, my biggest thing is it's not, it's not, I'm not complaining about the lifestyle that I live for sure, because, you know, I, I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to, to be successful so far or semi-successful in the entertainment world. It's just you, when, when you pay for something and you go to a festival like that, you just, you just have expectations and you just want to receive what you pay for. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of my, our biggest thing. Obviously, I understand there's much worse things going on in the world, and, and that's kind of what people have been complaining about. But I'm very blessed, and I'm very fortunate for what I have in my life, and I understand that there's a lot worse going on in the world. It's just when you order something or when you pay for something, you kind of just have expectations that, that want to be met for a service that you're paying for. Absolutely. Of course. You know, and... and um, you mentioned that you, you were trying to get your money back for the for the tickets. Did you get your money back? We did. Yeah, we ended up getting getting refunded. Oh wow! So everyone got the, got got refunded then. Yeah. So I was, I guess, I guess the whole six year jail sentence for fraud was just for the whole concept of the festival and not actually. Like I'm sure you owes a lot of people money as well, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I don't know all the details about that side of it. Um, yeah. I know that. I know that there's a class action lawsuit out there. I know that I saw in one of the documentaries that uh, there's a, someone won a lawsuit, but I don't know if they would ever see that. I don't know if he has any money. I don't know how all that stuff works, honestly. Are you part, um, are you part of the class action? I mean, some big class action lawsuit, apparently, but they called us, I'd say, a week after the festival and asked, you know, do you want to be a part of this, blah, 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 but... I have no idea what's going on. Right. I couldn't tell you. I mean, I don't expect anything, you know, I don't expect anything out of it. It was kind of just, it happened right after the festival. When were you, uh, and how were you contacted to be a part of the documentary? Some law firm, I think, saw my video, saw my vlog on YouTube and contacted us through that. Honestly, I'm, I don't even really remember. Mm-hmm. Did they have to like license the footage from you or whatever it is that you that you that you shot? Uh, Hulu did, yeah. Gotcha. Did you have you seen both documentaries? Yeah. What did you think? I, I like them. I, I think I think uh, people should definitely watch the vlog. The vlog just is able to show a great point of view from the attendee side. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I think overall it, it, they explain kind of what what went down. But the vlog just kind of gives a more in-depth view of an attendee's perspective. You're talking about your your vlog that you filmed. Yeah. Did you know anybody else that was on the, when you guys left? Did all your friends leave, or did you know anybody else that that stayed? Like, how long were people staying there before the whole thing just cleared out? I don't really know. I saw a couple people. I saw a couple people found like villas that they stayed in. I mean, again going back to the Bahamas, I see that it's like a beautiful place. And if you're in a villa that was kind of separated mm -hmm. from the disastrous ground, <laughs> um, I think obviously you would still be able to enjoy yourself by the beach and you're in the Bahamas at the end of the day. But 
yeah yeah it was it was interesting because there was that one the one influencer who actually had a nice airbnb and you know it seemed like for some people of you know a select few they had you know a good time it's just the ones that like you guys are kind of all lumped in with everybody else that kind of dropped off and left on your own yeah yeah i think the people definitely the the people i mean influencers were a big focus for fire festival obviously and i think that the people that did help promote the festival had good setups because they were helping promote it and i think there was definitely less focus on everyone else right of course of course um <laughs> as we wind down here, what do you think about Billy McFarlane? Did you think he deserved that six year sentence? Were you kind of paying attention to all this or do you just kind of say, forget it and leave it, leave it be? You know, I I honestly stay kind of removed from all that. Um, I never really like to talk about other people's business. It was shocking to me that, that when he got out on bail, he did something else. Right. Yeah. That was just kind of crazy to me, but um, I don't know, honestly, it's, it's really hard to tell a sentence for someone that either he made a mistake or whatever he did. It's just very hard to determine how long someone actually deserves to be locked up. So I'm getting, I'm getting the sense that you don't have any ill will towards Billy for all this. No, not, not necessarily. I mean, I think everybody makes mistakes. I think that everybody, a lot of the time with, with many things in life, I mean, I've been to, to a lot of events that are, people just don't understand how much it takes to put on something that big. Right. And that almost seems like what happened in this case. So it's just hard for me to, to have any anger towards someone and it's over and I'm safe and we're all safe. And at the end of the day, that's, that's really the only thing that matters. Well, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, last couple of questions. When you mentioned that when Billy was out on, on parole, that he went and started up another kind of a scam company where he was emailing people, you know, if you want Beyonce backstage passes, I can get them for you. Did you get any of those emails? Was it kind of part of the, of the, of the, uh, the information base that he had collected from fire? I don't remember getting those. I actually haven't even gone back to look, but I think I unsubscribed. I don't know if that makes a difference, but I don't really remember getting those emails. And if I, if I did, I probably would have just, disregarded as spam anyway so yeah now you know for sure what was the uh what was the worst part of the festival for you the the whole experience i would say just that moment when we were on the ground and we were trying to figure out how to get out you know that feeling of i'm in another country there might not be a way out of here Mm -hmm. and that that was the big especially if something goes wrong where do we go what do we do it's just I've never had a feeling of I can't get back into my country before. Right. And that was what, that was what we were all feeling at the time. You know, because like you said, as soon as you turn that corner and see the, the, the tent set up, you mentioned the girl started bawling beside you. That's a pretty, like you mentioned, that's a pretty, probably a, a, des- a desolate feeling that you would have. Yeah, I mean, that, that just started kind of the roller coaster that uh, continued on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but you made you guys made up your mind very quickly. Like, as soon as you saw that, you were you were ready to get out of there. Yeah, safety was was the priority for sure. Right, right, right. Even if we didn't get our money back, safety would have been number one. I mean, at the end of the day, I'd rather get back in the U.S. and, and be safe than sure try and live out my five hundred dollars that I paid for a house. <laughs> Which really isn't that bad, to be honest with you, when you think about it, right? No, no, it's not. Are you uh, are you kind of uh, um, not happy, but do you feel 
that you know these two documentaries coming out that that there's people need to know about this and need to learn about these type of things um you know how easy it is to to get scammed in this day and age with social media having such presence you know i i have a different perspective because i you know obviously social media has its positives and its negative you definitely have to be careful with who you follow and who you invest your time and your interest in but i definitely think that social media has a much bigger positive side i would this thing was one in a million i, I would definitely say kind of fact check do your research i'm more skeptical now about about things in the future because of this so for i, I mean for people listening to give people kind of more information i would just say just look deeper into things and just make sure you know what you're getting yourself into yeah and that's the thing even like i'm i'm, I'm buying a house and when you're applying for a loan i've been warned from from the from the you know loan people do not give any information via email because when people find out you're buying a house, they, they you know, kind of crack into that database. And if you give your information via email, they'll steal it and you could lose, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars just from that alone. So it is very easy if you're overly trustworthy to, to get scammed in this day and age. I, I swear it is so crazy. Somebody was telling me the other day not to access my bank account online when I'm in a public place because people can access public wi-fi and get right. your records it is just it, you gotta watch your back for everything now yeah exactly so, i mean i would just say to, to definitely be on the more careful side in this world absolutely absolutely last question for you austin it, 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 are you glad that you went would you do it all over again for the experience or or um you wish that it never happened no i i definitely would not do it again <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a great bonding experience for my friends. We definitely got a lot closer. You know, we were able to trust each other and have each other's back and, and see that, you know, we could handle pretty much any situation together, but I would not do it again. I would, it was huge stress. It was, yeah, no, I would, I wouldn't, I would not do it again. <laughs> I agree with you, man, for sure. Well, dude, I appreciate you talking to me and giving and giving us this, uh, on the spot eyewitness account of the fire festival is very very interesting and like i said man congratulations you're the star of the show uh you're probably going to get sitcoms and reality shows and uh hosting gigs but by a plenty now <laughs> i don't think that, that i don't think that that will happen but i like the positive attitude <laughs> <laughs> thanks dude yeah thanks so much i appreciate it all right, thanks to my friend Austin Mills from uh, younghollywood.com. What a crazy story. You can hit him up on Instagram, at Austin J. Mills. And how smart was he to shoot the video of his Fire Festival experience? The complete footage is on YouTube. Just uh, just Google Austin Mills Fire Festival. I'm looking at it right now. Fire Festival Complete Disaster Vlog of Chaos. Austin Mills on YouTube. Go check that out now. Uh, he's pretty much the star, once again, of Fire Fraud, the documentary on Hulu. Uh, Netflix also released their own version of Fire, which now is coming under uh, Fire, so to speak. They're saying that the people at, uh, at uh, F. Jerry Media had the final cut on that. But both of them give you different perspectives on this uh, fraudulent festival called the fire fraud so thanks again to austin mills and thanks to all of you for being here and thanks to everybody who helped me sell out double or nothing twelve thousand tickets in four minutes uh, a lot of that was done in the pre-sale same thing going on right now at chrisjerichocruise.com sign up to be a part of the pre-sale for chris jericho's rock and wrestling rager at c part de second wave uh, aew already announced to be there fozzy already announced to be a part of it i am already announced 
Got offers out to a lot of top-level Hall of Famers, rock and roll bands, paranormal activities, podcasters. It's going to be the vacation of a lifetime. If you were there last year, you know how much fun it was. And if you weren't there, you heard the rumors of it. Go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com right now and sign up for the pre-sale list. And you can uh, get your tickets and cabins early before the tickets and cabins officially go on sale on March 13th. ChrisJerichoCruise.com. All right. Check that out and check us out here on Talk is Jericho Wednesday for the legendary Dory Funk Jr. All right, 50 years after he won the NWA title, almost to the day I went to his Bang TV studios in Florida and Ocala, and we did this one live in front of a fine studio audience. Great conversation with the legend and Hall of Famer. Got great stories about tagging with his brother Terry, feuding with the Briscoes, Stan Hansen, working in Japan, and of course the NWA Championship. So many stories from, uh, from a forgotten era from Dory Funk Jr.'s. We'll see you then. And in the meantime, and in between time, have a great weekend. Stay hard, stay hungry. Peace, love, and hugs, and a big year, boy! The Fire Festival, baby! Go check it out now. Hulu and Netflix. I am.